Well, we've been in a series this summer called Passages, and it's, the intent of it is just different teachers and speakers coming and sharing from certain texts that have been meaningful in their lives for whatever reason. Maybe it's just something that's been current in their lives and something uh, very relevant for a certain season of, of, for one reason or another. And so that's been the intent of uh, this summer. Today, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to be in a text that has been current for me. Uh, for a whole variety of reasons, and some of which I'll uh, try to articulate uh, throughout this morning, but just this reality that this is a text that we'll look at in just a minute that I think has a lot of uh, relevance for each one of us. I know it it has been impactful and challenging for me even over the course of this summer in a variety of ways. It's a text that I think um, we like to try to soften once in a while. We like to try to tame it. We like to make it fit our North American sensibilities because sometimes we think, well, that's a little bit extreme, you know, to think about it that way. And, and so uh, it's a text that often we don't take at face value. And I want us to just have God speak into our lives about it this morning. But it's a text that reminds us that there is more to this world than just what we see. That there is more to this world than just the physical things that we can see and touch and experience in that level, but that there is a spiritual reality to this world that is every bit as real as the physical world that we see around us. So I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. For some of you, this is a text, if you've grown up in the church, this is a text that is fairly familiar to you, and one that is, uh, one that you have heard about and understood at at different levels. If, If you're not one who has grown up in the church, or being part of the church is not your thing, hasn't been part of your experience, I would guess that it's still a topic that uh, probably you've heard about it and it intrigues you. And about where, where does the truth lie on this? And so I think there is something for each one of us as we look at this text here today. Let me just read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and we'll uh, read to verse 17. So Paul is speaking and he says this, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you look uh, at the letter of Ephesians, and you, we don't have time today to go back into the lot of detail of the context, um, as we typically do when we're in a book for a long time, and we, the context matters, as we know, and But I I do want to give you just a bit of a sense of the context of this letter and the context of this passage. Ephesians is a book that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus that was trying to understand their identity and who they were in Christ and this new faith that they had. And what's interesting about the, the book of Ephesians or this letter that was written to this church is that the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what God has done, who he is, and who you are because of that. It's about our identity, and it's about our identity because of Jesus Christ. And so the first three chapters of Ephesians go all into those things about who we are in Christ and that our identity is found in Him. That our identity is not found in oftentimes the things that we look to our identity in today's world where 
we think about, well, it's about our family name, or it's about our ethnic background, or it's about the clan that we come from, or something to that effect. Our identity is not found in whether we are married or single or divorced or widowed. Our identity is not found in our occupation or what it is that we do on a day-to-day basis. And the fact that our identity is not found on our past or our mistakes or the things that have, been, that have happened to us that we sometimes allow to define us. And Paul is saying these, all of these things might be part of your landscape, but they're not your identity. They're not part of who you are. They don't define you. And so Ephesians is a book to help us understand, among other things, the identity that we have in Jesus Christ. And again, what's interesting is the first three chapters look at who God is, what he has done, and how, who we are because of that. The last three chapters in Ephesians, as soon as you start into chapter 4, it starts to get into imperatives, meaning here's now what you do. Here's how you're called to live. You don't see any of those in the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's all just about who God is, what he has done, and who we are because of that. And then in chapter 4, it starts off by saying, therefore, therefore, listen, I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. Because of all of this, what Paul has explained previous to this, he said, I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. And he goes into chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6 and saying, church, this is who you are. And again, don't just think of this individually as an individual person, but he's speaking corporately to the body of Christ, and he's saying, church, this is your identity. This is who you are. This is also who you are as individuals. And that's some of the background and the context that we come to in Ephesians chapter 6, in these verses, verse 10 to to 18, where it talks about the armor of God and the power that is there. That's why Paul says, hey, a final word. After all that I've been saying over here and all that we've been talking about, here's here's a final word word for you. He says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Don't live your life in your own strength. Live your life in God's strength. Live your life in true identity of who you are in Jesus Christ, not these other things that you allow to define you and limit you and confine you. But he says, therefore, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he gets into these imperatives And he says that we need to now take action. We need to do some things. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies against the devil. And so he says these imperatives of put on, stand firm, take hold of these truths that God has done for you and has given for you and claim them and live in them. He also is reminding this church and reminding us as a church as well. He says, you know what? The enemy is real. The devil is real. These evil influences are real. And I want you to be not ignorant of these things. I want you to be aware. And he says, so put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He uses all these these images and these languages to just have you understand that there's a reality to this evil presence. There's this reality to the devil that is there wanting to kill, steal, and destroy, which Jesus said, by the way. Jesus affirmed this truth, and he says, and he called him the thief. He says, you know what, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you think about that, a thief usually just comes to steal. But he says, the thief is coming to also steal your hope. The thief is coming to also steal your life. 
So Jesus affirms what Paul is saying here, and he's saying that the enemy is real. And we don't see in this text the essence of these powers, the essence of these spiritual authorities, in terms of what what kind of bodily form do they take, and sometimes all these questions that we come at these texts with. But we do see how they function. We do see the impact of what they do, and those are the things that we need to pay attention to. And so throughout Scripture, it is called all kinds of different things. Satan, the devil, the enemy, the thief, the ruler of this world, and so on and so forth. What Paul is wanting this church to know, and what Paul is wanting, and God is wanting us to know, is that there's a spiritual reality behind every battle that we face. I want us to maybe look at three different postures of how we might approach this. And, and again, I, I like the word posture because it's sort of the stance. It's sort of the way that we face something. It's, it's how we stand in something. And there are three postures that I want us to look at that I think are actually dangerous postures when it comes to the devil, to the enemy, to these evil forces that Paul is talking about here. They all start with the letter O, so you can remember them. Okay? One is to be obsessed. The second is to be oblivious. And the third is to be off balance. And I'll explain each of these in turn. The first two are opposite extremes. The first two are an extreme in either direction. They are opposing extremes. And this morning I want to give you some quotes uh, from C.S. Lewis. And some of you, many of you maybe are familiar with his great book called Screwtape Letters. A very appropriate book as we're talking about the enemy, the devil, uh, Satan, and the, the rulers and principalities of this world that is talked about in this text. And C.S. Lewis, the great author and theologian, he wrote this satirical book that is fictional, but it's to help teach spiritual truths and spiritual realities. And so he wrote this book where it was a senior devil or demon who was, was writing to his young understudy. And so it is, it is Screwtape, the older senior demon, who is writing this letter and corresponding with his nephew, Wormwood. And it's a wonderful read, and I would encourage you to read it. But it helps us to also have insights into what is being taught here by Paul. And so in this, in this book, one quote is this about extremes from Screwtape Letters. And, and so Screwtape says this. He says, all extremes, except extreme devotion to the enemy, are to be encouraged. Now remember, you have to get your head around everything sort of reversed in this book. So when it talks about the enemy, it's talking about God. So what Screwtape is saying, okay, young understudy one Wormwood, when it comes to the evil forces in this world, all extremes are to be encouraged. That's a good thing. So if somebody is starting to go in this direction, just keep pushing them a little bit further. Just keep pushing a little bit further down this road to an extreme. All extremes are good things. doesn't matter what direction. Just push them in a direction of extreme. And so these first two postures of how we view the enemy, I think, are opposing and totally opposite extremes of which way we could go, which I think either one, the devil, is quite happy that we would take. doesn't matter. Go in either direction. It's all good. The first one is that we're obsessed. The first extreme would be that we are obsessed, or the posture is that we are obsession, too consumed with the things of the devil, too consumed with the things of the evil spirits and demons, focused on this at every turn. We see Satan under every rock, and we blame him for everything, and we focus there. And so we're, we're casting out, we're praying against, we're focusing on the enemy constantly and at all times. This is one of the extremes that I think is a, a dangerous extreme that is not helpful and nor what Paul is teaching in the text. The other extreme is the exact opposite direction. And that is to be oblivious. 
to be completely ignorant or in denial and say, well, no, the enemy's not real. This is ludicrous. I mean, this is, you know, fairy tale stuff. I mean, this just sounds so absurd. Like, this doesn't make any sense. The enemy would love you to take that extreme, actually, to actually believe that the enemy and the Satan does not exist. I mean, the world scoffs at that, thinks it's silly. So this extreme of being oblivious has many, many forms. And many, many things that can lead us down this road. And one of the truths, one commentator makes this quote. He says, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It starts and gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. And it does so in many forms. You know, one of the ways that we live oblivious is that we live our comfortable lives. And lives of security. And we slowly have these subtle gods that rise up in our lives and that they sort of take hold of us. And we don't do it intentionally, but slowly they creep into our lives of our financial security, our comfort, whatever the case may be. And, and, and we become comfortable. And, and again, going back to a quote from Screwtape Letters. Screwtape says to young Wormwood, And how disastrous for us is the continual remembrance of death which war enforces. One of our best weapons, contented worldliness, is rendered useless. In wartime, not even a human can believe that he is going to live forever. So what he's saying in, in the reality of war, when somebody is actually in a war, you are faced with death every day and you think about spiritual things. You think about what comes after death. You think about what is there on the other side of this life. And so Screwtape is saying, you know what, the, it's, it's, unfortunately, when there is war, that works against us because people see the spiritual, the, the reality of, of things. And he says, one of our best weapons is just contented worldliness, where people are just content with their things and their lives and everything is so good, where we buy into and we blend in and we succumb to all the niceties and the political correctness of our culture that we don't even see evil for what it truly is. I think another way that we slowly creep into this obliviousness, this posture, is in data overload or data overload, where we just have so much coming at us, that so much information comes at us all the time, that we lose our ability to discern or care. I mean, just think about that for a minute. If you watch the news on any regular kind of basis, or read the news, or observe what's going on around the world, you very quickly get numb to it, don't you? Because there's just so much. And now with cable networks and so on, I mean, you can just watch news 24-7, like, and it's just always streaming, and it's always coming, and it's just wave after wave, and there's so much that we see going on around the world that is negative and bad and just pure evil. And you just lose your capacity to process it or care or let alone respond to it. And so as, as information increases to the point of being overwhelmed, our responses to it start to decrease. And the same is true when we start to see evil in the world and, and we start to desensitize ourselves to it as well. And again, a quote from Screwtape Letters is this. The more often he feels, and he's speaking about this British man that is the focus of the book, the more often he feels without acting, the less he will be able to ever, ever to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. So in other words, eventually, if a person doesn't act on the things that you feel, you eventually even stop having the ability to feel. We become numb. We become desensitized. We become oblivious to the evil that is in the world and the evil that is around us, and we, we just sort of sit in it. We become trained not 
to act on truth, on tragedy, on evil. And so our lives become these passive lives of maybe unintentional obliviousness to what the enemy is doing in the world, in our relationships, and in our lives. So the third posture, the first one is obsession or being obsessed, and the second one is being oblivious. The third one that I would put forward is just simply being off balance. Now what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that we get off balance. It's not an extreme. It's just sort of being off balance in one way or another where we actually contribute to the work of the enemy. And so if you are standing on one foot, it is a little bit harder to balance than when you're on two feet. And so we unintentionally contribute to the work of the enemy by the choices that we make, by the things that we do, and we give traction to the evil that is there and wanting to be done into our lives. And you know what? It's really hard to stand when you are off balance. And it's really easy to be get pushed off balance when you are already vulnerable in one way or another. And that has, again, has many forms. A quote from Screwtape says this, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. In other words, somebody who has just a moderator, everything is just sort of lukewarm. Not standing firm, but just sort of lukewarm and just sort of playing the game of religion and playing the game of being a believer and a follower of Christ. He says, you know what? That is actually uh, just as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing, which is quite interesting. So we need to realize that we contribute to the enemy's work one compromise at a time. We give it validity. We give it power. Not that our actions are necessarily evil, but it's just subtle when we are off balance and not standing firm. Another quote from this book says this, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Your your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. If you look in scripture, it confirms this over and over again, how there are things that are in our lives that just kind of put us off balance, that don't have us standing planted and firm, but that put us off balance in one way or another and that eventually lead to this sin and lead to this death. James 1, verse 13 and 15 says this, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So you see that? It it doesn't begin with sin. It just begins with being a little bit off balance, and a little bit of compromise, and a little bit of giving in to our temptations, and a little bit of this, and then the enemy takes that and uses that, and we give traction for that in our lives, where it eventually leads to this sin and leads to death. Or how about this text? I love this one in Proverbs. When sin, or sorry, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Too many words makes us off balance. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Think of the last argument you were in with someone that you cared for. And where the words just keep coming and you keep talking and you keep talking. You think you're going to get yourself out of trouble, but you just get yourself into more trouble. Or think about when there are conflicts in one realm or another. And you talk about it because it's important to talk about these things. And so words just keep coming and 
pretty soon it's gossip and pretty soon it's bitterness and pretty soon it's animosity and you're speaking against these people and this person and so on and so forth. And it just kind of goes and goes. I said this text was current for me. Um, I hate to admit it was even so current as this morning where I got my wife frustrated with me. I know none of you married men have ever done that with your wife. Hey, why not Sunday morning, you know? So I said something, and in my mind, I'm thinking something, and I thought, you know what, that's just really bugging me, and we've talked about this before, and so I should say something, and then, you know, she would learn, right? Yeah. So I opened my mouth, and I started to talk, and it didn't go well. And so, you know, when words are many, sin is not absent, and we get off balance, right? And the enemy can use that to twist and distort. Now you're thinking, Bruce, you're just a pastor. You did that just so that you had a life lesson to teach in the sermon. (laughs) Believe me, I am not that stupid or smart or whichever that is, but that's stupid. But it's true, right? Like when words are many, sin is not absent. That has all kinds of different expressions that, that put us off balance, that keep us off balance, that the enemy can use to just sort of keep nudging us in that direction, that it'll eventually lead to death. Just like Jesus talked about. The enemy came that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, there's many other applications. You could look at so many areas of our lives. You think of even the good things like, well, good stewardship. I want to be a really good steward of my finances. So I'm going to make sure that I save and that I'm frugal and that I'm diligent with my money and I track it all and so on. And if we go too far down that road, then all of a sudden we can even get a little bit off balance there where... We lose sight of generosity and the things that God calls us to also in Scripture about giving freely of our financial things. Or maybe you're in a dating relationship or you've been in a dating relationship and, you know, the physical boundaries that you sort of set out for yourselves have sort of been kind of bypassed and stepped over and so on. And so you say, well, you know what, It's it's not sex. But you sort of keep going down that road and it sort of gets you off balance just a little bit and that's where the enemy can just sort of nudge you a little bit further. Because you say, well, it's not sin, you know. Or maybe you're at work and it's the things that you do in terms of how you write out the invoice or the price that you charge for something. Or maybe it's the hours that you track or how you do that. Or maybe it's just sort of what you say or how you talk about another employee or your boss. You know, and it's not sin. I mean, it's just, we're just talking, right? But then again, you get a little bit off balance and the enemy uses that to keep pushing us in an further direction because again either extreme extremes in any directions are good things so just encourage them in that way there's so many ways that we can be off balance satan just needs to nudge us in order for us to fall that's what paul's teaching here he's saying you need to stand you need to plant your feet and you need to put on this armor of god and you need to stand secure in this And not live this life of compromise where you're allowing the enemy to have an inroad or something that comes into your life in one way or another. But he's saying here, he's saying some also very encouraging things. He says, here's also the reality. This is a defeated enemy. That Satan is a defeated enemy. That we're in a battle, yes. The enemy is real, yes. But we have won. And you have everything that you possibly need in your arsenal to defeat the enemy. You need to know that. Paul teaches that here in this book of Ephesians. He teaches that throughout his other books and so on. That our struggle against these spiritual powers in the dark world reflects a heavenly reality. But we have to realize that they are subjected powers, defeated powers because of the cross. 
And although they may be the powers that rule darkness and evil, we don't live there anymore. We have given our lives to Christ. We live in the light. We've stepped out of darkness, which the enemy does not like, which is why the battle is real. But just look at a a few texts that teach on this. If you just flip back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, earlier on, I said the first chapters were all about who God is and what he has done. And here Paul is teaching. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. He just kind of throws everything in there. So whatever you're going to put in that category, Jesus is above all of that. Okay? Not only in this world, but in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Or you turn over to Colossians and you look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul, again, another letter that Paul wrote. He says, you are dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Not only did he disarm them, but he humiliated them. That's what it says. That Jesus humiliated them on the cross. So Paul is wanting the people to know this. He's wanting you to know this. He's wanting us to know this. This is a defeated enemy. The enemy is real, but don't give him too much power. The power that you give him is the power that you allow traction for in your life and in your church by being off balance. You flip back to Romans chapter 8 and a passage that is often well known and we think about it in terms of God's love but think of it from the spiritual realm where Paul again in this letter he says this and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want you to understand. Paul wants you to understand. God wants you to understand that this enemy is real, but he is a defeated enemy. Don't go to the extremes of being obsessed, but also don't go to the extreme of being oblivious. Don't be intentional about being off balance or even unintentional about being off balance where you actually give credibility and traction to the work that the enemy wants to do in our lives and then he goes on and he says so put on you need to put on and he says in verse 13 to 17 therefore put on every piece of god's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil and then after the battle you will still be standing firm He says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. He says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All of these things. He says, the enemy always deals in lies. You need to put on the belt of truth. The truth of God's word and who he is. The truth of who you are and your identity. You need to be armed with that. He says there is a breastplate of righteousness. A shield of God's righteousness. This breastplate that protects your heart. The enemy wants to discourage your heart. 
and disillusion you, this place of the will, this place of your hope. And the enemy wants to destroy that. And he says, put on this breastplate of righteousness that will protect your heart in all things. It says that for shoes, you need to put on these shoes of God's peace. Think of Isaiah where it says, blessed are the feet of them who bring good news. Beautiful are those feet who bring good news. It's so true, right? We need to be people who put on those kinds of shoes. People who walk in reconciliation, who walk in peace. People who have shoes that walk towards others, walk towards where there is conflict, that bring peace into those situations because of what the gospel tells us. He says, put on the shield of faith, hold it up. The enemy's arrows are real. You know, and you have to know that in that time, the Roman infantry, they had, and which would have been the images in these people's minds as they're reading this, they had body shields that were four feet tall and two and a half feet wide that they could hide their entire body behind. These massive shields. And so he's saying, put this shield in front of you. It'll protect all of you from the enemy's schemes and arrows. Focus on God's faithfulness and walk in it. The helmet of salvation, this ultimate protection that Jesus has overcome death, that salvation is real. And the enemy wants you to doubt your salvation all the time. You need to know that it is true, that it holds, and that you have hope because of that. And then this sword of the Spirit, this Word of God. You know, that's the only one that's an offensive weapon, where you go on the offense. All the others are just what you stand in. You just stand and you resist the enemy. You stand firm and whatever comes your way, you're ready because of these things that God has given you. But here he says, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God that you would know it, that you would trust it, that you would use it, that you would live it out of it, that you would be obedient to this word. So in this beautiful, powerful passage here, Paul is teaching them that they have everything that they need to stand. Everything that they need to to push back against all the schemes and strategies of the enemy. You don't have to fear. You have everything that you need, but you need to put it on. You need to put it on. You need to stand in it. And then he comes... Uh, to this incredible verse 18 where he says, which I think is a key to understanding this whole verse, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You know, and, and here in this context, I don't believe it's, it's Paul teaching about praying in tongues in that way. He teaches about that in other places. And praying in tongues, if that is a gift that God has given you, may be part of how you do that. But he's saying, be so intimate with the Spirit of God that you are communing with God on a daily basis that all your circumstances, all the enemy schemes, everything that you face in a day-to-day life that you bring before the God and you're constantly in prayer with the living, the living Father. That you have that kind of intimacy with God. That we are well-armed soldiers who pray continuously. There's such an absolutely key way that we stand that we put on, that we take these gifts, both these gifts that God has given us, but also these tasks that God has called us to employ. They are gifts that are intended to be used, not put on a shelf. Notice, if you look, read in verse 19 and 20, where Paul says, hey, pray for me as well. What's interesting is he does, he's in prison. And he doesn't say, pray that I'd be freed from prison. doesn't mention that. He says, pray that I would actually be bold and that I would be able to stand strong in the call that God has given me. That I would live a life worthy of the calling. He says, pray that I might have courage. Pray that I might have boldness. Pray that I might have an honest testimony that would impact people and people would come to faith. And that's what he calls us to do. My prayer for each of us is that we would be people 
who stand. That we would be a church that stands in this way. I'm going to invite the worship team if they would come up at this time. And I want to lead us in a prayer uh, of how we might stand. And I'm going to invite you if you would stand at this time as we pray. I'm going to pray for these things that are in our lives that you don't know what to do with. These things that seem like attacks of the enemies that you don't know how to combat them. Maybe there are things in your life that you've been praying for for years and you just go, I don't know if I have the ability, strength, or courage to keep persevering. I'm going to just pray that God would give us the courage to stand. Would you join with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truths of these words of Scripture. Thank you for the truths of uh, this gospel that you are a God who has defeated this enemy. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to avoid the extremes of being obsessed with the things of the enemy, but also of being oblivious. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who would not uh, do anything to cause us to be off balance, that would give traction and, and credibility to the, to the enemy to do work in our lives. And so Lord, I pray for relationships that are represented here in this room that are strained, where we're off balance and we don't know what to do. I pray that our words would not be many and that would not lead us to sin. Father, I pray for the marriages that are here that are represented here in this room and in our families where there are stress fractures and deep hurts and wounds that we don't know how they would ever heal. Lord, I pray that your gospel and your hope and the truth would come into these situations. Father, I pray for where there are temptations at work where we can compromise in one way or another, that you would help us to plant our feet firmly and that we would stand strong. Lord, I pray that for people that are here today who are doubting your goodness, maybe they believe that you're real, but they wonder if you are good. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have hope again, that you would help us to see you in a new way again and to see your goodness. And I pray that you would help us to regain the hope that has been lost. And Father, I pray that wherever there is comfort and security that has slowly become our subtle God, that you would help us to stand firmly planted in the truth and to see what we need to see, Lord. Lord, would you reveal the compromises in our lives where we're off balance? And Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace these gifts and also live out of these gifts, act on these gifts of truth and righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the sword of the Spirit. May we be people of prayer. And as a church, may we stand on these things because of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.